If you're looking to grow from six to seven figures in revenue a year, or seven figures a year in revenue to seven figures a month in your e-commerce business, or if you're feeling like you've plateaued in your e-commerce business, this is the podcast for you. You're listening to the Journey to Eight Figure Ecom Business Podcast. My name is Emmanuel Alea, founder and CEO of Alea Systems, where we build systems that build brands online and teach e-commerce founders how to go from six figures a year to six figures a month in 90 days or less. I scaled my first e-commerce business from zero to seven figures in two years and seven to eight figures three years later. Since then, we've created an agency to help others recreate the same success, partnering with over 50 e-commerce businesses as clients. And in just the last year, we've helped 12 of them go from six figures to seven figures and five of them 10x their businesses, going from around 30000 a month in revenue to over 300000 a month in revenue. And we're just getting started. Now, this podcast isn't for everyone. It's for folks who already have an idea or already selling, but are also not funded and using their own cash to grow their own business. They're trying to have a life while also having a feeling of a business, but feeling the pressure of having to do it all yourself. If these are your struggles, we're here for you and you're going to get the most value from this podcast. In the first couple of podcast episodes in this series, we've been talking about the first phase of the journey from start to eight figures, right? What it looks like to go from side hustle to a full-time income with your e-commerce store. I really stressed that the most important component is understanding product market fit and validating that you've achieved it while making sure you have a good product margin. Then we moved on to the second phase of the journey, what it looks like to go from full-time income to hiring a team where we discuss the beliefs and myths that hold us back, the customer acquisition and supply chain systems we need to scale through this phase, and how to hire a team that will manage those systems so you can be freed up for the next phase of growth to an eight-figure-a-year business. In this podcast episode and these these last three, uh, we're going over this final phase of the journey, going from having a team to seven-figure months, right? The key to making it through this phase and getting to where you're doing $833,000 a month consistently will be broken into three sections your customer acquisition systems, your supply chain systems, and your management team systems. And in this specific podcast, we'll be talking about your supply chain systems and the key elements you need to have in place to scale your revenue past a million dollars a month. All right. Let's take stock of where you're at at this point in the series, this podcast series. You've first started off, you got product market fit, and you priced your products for a healthy margin. You passed the point of getting consistent, repeatable sales, which got you to around 10K a month to 30K a month in revenue, and you moved from a side hustle to a full-time income. Then you built a robust supply chain with a solid tech stack, and then built a customer acquisition pipeline that converts strangers in your target market into buyers of your product. All the while, you've avoided the pitfalls and distractions that come from early success when you're finally making enough to quit your job and do this thing full-time. You're aware of and successfully dealing with the myths and negative belief systems that can stop you in your tracks. Things like perfectionism, imposter syndrome, and shiny object syndrome, shiny object syndrome. And you've moved past the point of being a seven-figure business or doing 83000 a month or more in revenue. And you've moved on from just having friends and family working for you and helping you out on a part-time basis to better skilled employees for specific job functions, basically for customer acquisition and supply chain. Your social media, your creative and website, and paid ads people to help with marketing, customer service, and fulfillment people to help with supply chain. You've got all those things. You've got helpers there. You've got 
professionals, people who are committed and are willing to help you. And you've outsourced the key backend functions as well, not just the operational things, but uh, the key backend functions to get you out of the weeds of day-to-day administration like accounting, recruiting new contractors and team members, inventory management and product sourcing. And lastly, we talked about in the last episode, you've built out your customer acquisition systems to gain consistency in your revenue by establishing your traffic formula benchmarks, forecasting your revenue based on those benchmarks, and you are now measuring your planned revenue and benchmarks versus your actual numbers. Now it's time for the most critical piece of the puzzle to get from seven figures a year to seven figures a month in revenue and getting that eight figure a year business, your supply chain, right? For most businesses that reach this stage, it's actually not marketing that causes them to plateau or crash the business and go back and not be able to reach this this level where you're doing seven figures a month uh, or doing eight figures a year. It's their supply chain, not the demand, not the marketing, not some new strategy, not new hack that holds them back. It's the supply chain. Basically, they just can't keep up with the volume of demand and the orders, right? Some area of their business breaks, right? They get a ton of new orders and something bad happens. And it's usually in one of these areas. They either run out of inventory, it's their customer service, the shipping and fulfillment, right? Uh, Or becoming too cash trapped, right? Not being able to work with their manufacturer. Uh, Those are the areas that usually start to break and start to strain or something bad happens and they can't, they can't solve it. And so they get stuck there and can't hit that next level. And that usually comes as a surprise to most people that it's operations that stops you from getting to an eight figure month, not the marketing demand. Right. Uh, and also uh, that getting there's not that fun, right? Because getting the seven figures a month should feel exciting like a major accomplishment. But in reality, when most people hit that first, second figure month, the feelings they are feeling are not joy and excitement. They're not necessarily happy and ecstatic and rolling in riches, right? That's usually not how they feel. Usually how they feel, anger, frustration, exhaustion, right? They're tired. They're hurt. They feel frantic. And and you know what? A lot of times panic sets in. Why? Because the supply chain can't keep up. It's the saddest thing when people start to resent their business, right? The best example is that we've seen in in pop culture is when people have what's called a a Oprah moment, right? They get on the Oprah and all of a sudden a massive spike in sales hits or they go live on Shark Tank, right? An episode and they do a million bucks in a weekend, just crazy numbers. The demand and the orders are there, right? Like we said, you know, it's the, the demand's there. Marketing, you don't need any more marketing. You got plenty of orders. You got more orders than you can you, you can handle. Uh, the business falls apart. It's the supply chain, right? And it breaks all over the place. And the founder, instead of being happy and excited about this Oprah moment or being featured on Shark Tank or this big spike in orders or QVC or some placement in some major publication somewhere, whatever it may be, you get the demand and you have sales. You end up feeling frustrated The and you start to resent your own business when you should be feeling most the most satisfied you've ever felt. So let's not let that happen to us. Let's be prepared for the major areas that break when and if we have our Oprah moment, right? Let's, let's be prepared for it as much as we can. And that's what we're going to focus on today in our supply chain, okay? So first area that tends to break when we have an air Oprah moment is in our inventory availability, right? Basically, we just, we didn't buy a million bucks worth of sales of inventory. 
So we just, we're at some point, we're going to run out. Right? So we need to prepare ahead of time for that with backup plans if we start to sell out rapidly. So it's not a, th- a matter of having all that inventory s- selling sitting there, right? Since we're inventory-based businesses, we rely on having product ready to go when customers buy it. And thanks to Amazon's speedy fulfillment, customers won't wait more than a few days to get their order and definitely won't wait a few days just for it to be processed and shipped. But we can't be prepared for a million bucks worth of, worth of inventory. So we have to plan for and have plans and scenarios for when we run out. We will run out, right? So we just need to create a scenario where we think ahead in case we know we're going to run out before the inventory, the next set of inventory arrives, okay? So to prepare yourself, a couple things you can do. First and foremost, know your lead times from your manufacturer. And not only know your lead times, how long does it take them to manufacture, but know how much will be available in that time. Sometimes they can rush out a, a, a small job. If you're used to doing 1,000 units, 10,000 units with them, maybe, they, and that takes 60 days, 120 days, whatever it may be, maybe they can knock out 1,000 in a week or two weeks, you know, and just do it real quick if they have the materials, whatever it may be. So be prepared with those contingencies, right? And ask them in advance when things are calm before you need it, right? Also, know your shipping speeds, right? for the different shipping methods. To, you, when you get to this point, you should have diversification in your supply chain, right? I wouldn't rely entirely on one manufacturer. Have multiples, especially if you're overseas. If you're overseas, have an overseas manufacturer, but also look to have an uh, onshore manufacturer as well. Someone that's local or nearby where the shipping is not going to take two months on, on the ocean to get here. Okay, What that does is now you can send those quick orders in, in this scenario uh, where, you know, the benefit of being offshore is it's cheaper to get your product and they can make more en masse. But if you're in a hurry, you don't mind, you're, you have a lot of demand. So you're okay spending a little bit more on your product to get it faster because the time spent is worth more to you than the, uh, the time spent is worth more than, you, than the extra little margin that you'll save on, on that small run of product, right? So have it diversified and then understand both ground and air shipping from both, right? What are the lead times and your shipping speeds for domestic ground from overseas as well as, uh, not not domestic ground from overseas, domestic ground from domestic and domestic air? How long does it take for you to get here, for it to get here? And then international ground and international air as well as the prices. How much is it going to cost for a standard run? And then how much would it cost for a larger run, right? You need to know your weights of your products to calculate that out. But have that written down for if you're normally selling a 1000 Calculate it out with your freight forwarder or calculate on DHL.com or UPS uh, for local or, sorry, for onshore domestic. Calculate it out using, instead of 1,000 order, use 10,000 just so you know if things get big and and we scale, how much is it going to cost me to ship a lot more product? You might have to go to container load at that point for some people, right, depending on the size of your product or LTL. It won't just be a parcel package, right, which can be mailed in a box, you know, or you'll need to palletize it, right? So prepare those things in advance and know that so that when you run out, you know how long and how much it's going to cost you to get it in, okay? Um, the the next thing is you need to calculate to prepare yourself if you're running out of inventory. You need to know how fast you're selling out, okay? Uh, the easiest way is to convert your inventory amount and quantity into what, what I call days, right? Uh, uh, to an, a stock out date. So 
if you're selling 10 orders per day and you have 300 in inventory, then you'll be out in 30 days, right? So 30 days of inventory is what you have. There's another way of looking at 300 units in inventory. Now, don't just do this for the average or overall. Do this by SKU, right? Uh, so that that way you know which ones are at risk and you can start preparing ahead of time. And also this gives you a good solid sense of when you should reorder because you need to keep an eye on that uh, and match that to your lead time. So if it takes, you're going to be out in 30 days and you have a 60 day lead time, oh, we got a problem. So if uh, so, make sure that you're keeping track of days of inventory. So really help you as you're drawing down, especially when you have your open moment, because all of a sudden you'll start to see that 10 orders a day will go to 100 orders a day, to 200 orders a day, to 300 orders a day. And now you're, instead of 30 days of inventory, we may have 10 days of inventory. So we need to know that and calculate that out, right? And also when you order, order at least your lead time, twice your lead times amount, right? Because you want to make sure you have enough so that when it arrives, you don't have to reorder right away again. Right. So if you're uh, and that changes based on how fast you're selling. So if you're selling 10 a day and you go to, you know, 20 a day, you need to double how much you order so that that way, when you order 60 days worth times two, you can have enough uh, for the new level of sales that you're at. OK, so another option if you're running out of inventory fast and an over moment is a lot of people will stock out. They will actually say nothing. We're zero. You can't buy it and sometimes even pull that listing, not sometimes, most times, pull that listing off their website so people don't get FOMO because they missed out and they won't even see it. Another option is to consider keep selling if you're out of stock, right? On Shopify, this is simply allowing back orders on the product page, right? As long as you keep, you know your lead times and you know when it will arrive, this could be a way to avoid having to shut down sales completely. Right, as long as product will arrive in time, because you know some it's tough when those people come and they're ready to buy, and you've worked so hard to get them to your site and buy. It's tough when you're out of stock and they can't buy. So sometimes, if you know you're going to be able to get the product in, just keep selling it, even though you don't have it. The key thing to this is you just need to communicate with people, right? So when they make that order, don't don't sell something you don't have and won't have, or it won't be here for three months. Don't do that. Uh, but if you know it's going to be three months, take the order and notify people like it. Hey, through email, I don't recommend doing this up front. Uh, you know, close the deal, close the sale. A lot of people will put a big bright red banner, you know, due to shipping delays. And yeah, you can put that. But honestly, um, put that afterwards. If they don't like that, then just give them a refund, right? And give them their money back. But close the sale, close the deal. If they want it, help them satisfy that desire, right? Before shutting yourself down. Let them decide later they don't want to wait versus you shutting them out from even giving from even buying your product. And then shoot them an email and let them know, hey, there's delays. This was going to happen. And every week, at a minimum, give them an update on what you're doing. That's the key. A lot of people get frustrated on uh, people customer service is blowing up and people are angry. They're not angry because they're waiting. Some some are, but they knew that when they bought because you notified them. What they're angry on is if you don't communicate, if they just have to wait and the product isn't coming. Okay. So keep communication with them. Keep selling back order. That's another option. Keep the sales going even though you don't have the product in yet because you had this big open moment. Lastly, another option if you're selling too fast and you're running out of inventory is, and this is counterintuitive, but just consider raising your prices. Right? So where's this going to happen, right? You're going to start sell less units. Right? That's literally, if you think about it, that's what's going to happen. 
So there's people coming, they want to buy it, and they're going to say, oh, man, this is more expensive than I thought. I'm not going to buy. That's actually okay. It'll slow down the orders, and people will be annoyed and don't buy. But that's exactly what your supply chain needs, right? You have too many orders. You have too many sales and not enough inventory. So here's a counterintuitive benefit to that is even though you're selling less product, you're making more per sale of that product. Right. And so the people who buy are spending more. So that extra revenue you make up for on the people that buy can make up for the lost orders of people who don't want to buy that you lose. Right. So great example of this. We were we were selling way too fast. We only had a thousand units. We were selling it for 20 bucks. Right. And we just could not keep up. We were selling like crazy, like hot crates. We raised the price by 50 percent to 30 dollars. Right. And I assumed that sales would be cut by 50 percent right? because, you know, one-to-one. We raise the price 50%, sales will decrease 50%, but they actually didn't. Order volume only dropped by 30%, right? So we were making more per order than I expected, you know, 50% more, but we only had 30% less orders. But what it did is that 30% cut in order volume allowed our supply chain to finally catch up. So we had the best of all worlds. We were able to catch up with our supply chain, get customers happy again, get back to shipping, clear that, clear out the backlog of orders, and we made more money per order at the same time. So win, 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 win all around. So, okay. So those are the big supply chain things. Inventory, inventory is the first one that really starts to get hammered in some solutions. The second area that gets hammered when we hit those seven-figure months is customer service. This is a big one, right? Uh, so I'll, I'll start out with a story, right, to really illustrate how bad things can get, right? So we had a client. We've had, actually, I'm not even going to say it's one client. This has been a couple of clients, right, uh, that have had, and there's a bunch, and it has happened to us too. Uh, what happens is you have this big Oprah moment, right, and the tickets start to spike because you're out of inventory, let's say, right, and you didn't handle it properly. So people aren't being proactively communicated with. They have to reach out to you to figure out what the heck's going on, right? So tickets start to spike. And that leads to a domino effects, right? The tickets start to age. And so you start to get a big backlog. So people's stuff is just sitting there and not being replied to. And then simple things that could have been solved quick, like, hey, where's my stuff, are not pushed to the front or prioritized. So those don't, they, they get muddled in with things that are also sales related, like how do I complete my purchase? You want those questions answered quickly because someone's trying to buy right now. So all of that stuff gets ignored. And the where's my stuff tickets get ignored. And so people thought they were getting ripped off. And that's when things turn real bad. And the next domino falls. Now they don't feel like they can get their their problems solved through your customer service. So they turn to social media uh, and start posting their issues there publicly. And that starts to damage the brand, right? And it starts to affect other people who are in the buying decision uh, stage, trying to decide whether or not they should buy from you. And they start to see that and you start to lose sales. And worse, when you start running ads, uh, we, we had some situations with a couple of different clients where people would start hunting their ads out. They would start looking for their ads so that they can go put comments on them to tell people, don't buy from this brand. No one should trust the brand, right? You shouldn't do this and leave those comments and start these really nasty campaigns to make their ads not perform because they know the difference between an organic post and an actual ad post, right? So then people seeing the ads aren't clicking through and buying because they see these really nasty messages on there. And again, remember, even if 
that the customer service team is so backed up, they can't get to those ad comments and start deleting those. So they just start piling up and these big angry conversations are piling up on the ads because maybe that those ad comments aren't even connected to your customer service. And maybe you're not using Gorgeous or something that really does this well. And so they're missing that because they're missing everything at this point because the queue is so large, right? So now the ads stop performing, they're underperforming, and the ROAS and the sales start to drop. Well, as if that's not bad enough, if the ROAS and the sales start to drop right at the same time, you're having this big spike and you're having, and you're running out of inventory, uh, you've got to buy more inventory, more than you planned. So your cash needs are actually higher, right? And you need to hire more people to do all the shipping of this stuff. So you're paying out cash to your manufacturers, to your new employees, to more customer service agents, but your revenue is coming down. Oh man, this is where the cash crunch comes from. Uh, and then you have to shut down your ads and new sales start to slow and you just have to wait till the inventory comes in. You're sitting there in this really precarious kind of limbo where you're just like, oh, I hope the inventory gets here so we can deliver it to the people who already bought and we can make it through that and still have enough to then go turn the ads back on, get those working again and get sales going again. And sadly, we've we've sent, we've seen people where, uh, they're never able to get their ads back up. They finally work through that two-month backlog and their ads have been off for a month. And so it just, the algorithm has lost the thread of who's who's working or the ads are all completely eat, eaten up with comments that are negative. And so they can't get back to that level of sales. So that spike in sales actually killed the business, right? And worse is there's people who don't want to wait two months. So... Um, you have to sit there and process their refunds. So you made the sale and you had uh, them not want to wait and you have all these orders, but then you start having, and you're not getting more orders, you turned off your ads and you're having days where you have more refunds than purchases, right? So you're having negative sales. That is a horrible feeling, right? (laughs) That is a horrible feeling. So, we're going to try and avoid that domino effect and that horrible scenario with a couple of strategies for customer service if you're having a big Oprah moment and spiking. Okay, First things first, have canned responses ready to go, right? I'd say probably 60 to 70% of all the questions that come into customer service for e-commerce businesses are the same, the same type of question. Uh, and so be prepared for them by giving regular standard stock answers, right? They're asking, where's my stuff? right? When's my order going to get here? Uh, They're usually related to the product, their order, or the brand, right? So the product is, how do I use this? Is this going to work for me? Hey, I can't get this working right. Those kind of questions. The order, where's my order? When's it going to get here? Can I get a refund on the order? Or the brand, do you guys ship this way? Do you guys have this policy? Or what is your return policy? Or what, what do you also make this? Do you make that? Can you make this? Those three groupings of questions, you shouldn't have to come up with something unique all the time, right? Have answers ready to go. An extension of that is have an FAQ, frequently asked questions built. Put those questions and answers on your site, right? A lot of people will, even if they have the canned answers ready to go for the customer service agents, they don't realize they can preempt even getting the question in the first place. So when you contact us, have commonly asked questions there with answers, your canned responses. So that way people can help themselves and maybe it never even comes into your inbox. So you don't have to have 
a big, long backlog of simple questions that get answered or even tough questions, people can answer it themselves, right? Another big thing is use software dedicated to customer service, right? In the e-commerce world, uh, there's a couple different ones. The one I like to recommend is Gorgias, G-O-R-G-I-A-S, right? That is a phenomenal software that plugs directly in with most of the e-commerce platforms, the deepest integration with Shopify, right? Uh, and here's a couple of reasons why. First and foremost, it's a shared inbox. If you're using a Gmail inbox or something like that, or Outlook where you have a couple people, or maybe it's just you answering tickets there, it's it's going to get overrun quickly. But even if it doesn't get overrun, it makes it hard to scale a team and get help, right? Because if you're working on a ticket, someone else may, or if you're working on an email, someone else may also be working on the same one on their computer, Right, it doesn't really do that clash uh, detection, right? And make sure it, it deconflicts between who's working on what. Uh, and the software is use a ticketing system, so that, that way, when one ticket is assigned to someone, no one else is going to accidentally start working on it. Right, so that way, no two people are working on the same thing. Also, a software can give you metrics which Gmail cannot. Right, so you can see very key performance indicators like time to first response right? Number of responses per ticket, right? These are key metrics that a lot of people don't even think to look at because they can't, right? But it's important to know how long are we taking to answer that first when something comes in, how long does it take us to respond to it? You want that number to be ever decreasing going down. The number of responses per ticket. So how many times does a customer have to reply? That means we're not actually solving the problem. So if we have a lot of back and forth with a customer, that's a ticket to look into. Be like, what? why couldn't we fix this? What's going on? Were they just angry and irate? Or does our customer service agent need support and training? Or is the problem that they're trying to solve so gnarly that and difficult that we need to fix the process or fix the product, right? There's gold. There's a gold mine of information in those uh, metrics that are outliers, and especially for that one, number of responses per ticket. And then average ticket resolution time, right? How long does it take? Is this similar to first response time, but how long until we close the ticket, right? So we have the first response, then we have a bunch of responses back and forth with them. Then we close the ticket. It's done. How long does that take? So these are some key metrics that really work well. And a lot of these tools will also give you like net promoter score and things like that too. The other reason why the software is great is because if you're using just a Gmail inbox, what happens if you want to get a phone service on or a chat service? You've got to have all those windows pulled up as a customer service person to have your chat, your phone, your email support handled well. And that's not to mention social media, right? Facebook, Instagram, if you have a YouTube channel, YouTube, all these different touch points. Well, with a software, it can consolidate all those into tickets. And so you can just reply in the interface. and It'll reach out to your platform of choice, whether it's Instagram DMs and Facebook, right? It'll message those people or comments on a post. You can reply to those comments, even if it's just a little emoji. So you can seem like uh, you're always watching, right? Because all these come in. And you can see them. And if you get an email or if you get a, a voicemail or a phone call or a chat, all these will pop in as tickets and you can handle them from one system, right? Very, very crucial. Okay. So now that you have a software, there's some other things you can do. <clears throat> you should use a software that filters out requests when people enter. So this is now prioritization. So one is collecting all the information and being able to have multiple people working on it. But you should also be able to tag and filter things, right? So if they're processing a return, um, you be, should be able to handle that and segregate that out versus if they have an order-related question or if they're just angry, right? Uh, there's softwares that can help you with that, uh, especially gorgeous. You can tag based on sentiment. You can tag based on uh, natural learning, right? So uh, the 
it'll actually read the responses for certain keywords in the email and tag them automatically. So you can handle the highest priority, most urgent ones first, right? And another thing to do is along with the idea of having a Q FAQ and keeping people from emailing you in the first place is have different uh, software for different types of requests. Easiest one to show as an example is returns, right? A return can be self-service. They shouldn't need to email you about a return. There's apps on all the major store platforms where they can just process a return themselves, right? So use an app like that so it doesn't clog up your inbox when people are asking for much more important things, right? Or you could use a chat software that integrates with your FAQ. So as people are typing in their question, it'll pop up suggested answers so that way they can answer it themselves potentially. But even if they don't answer it themselves, you should have categories, that they can click on in the form. So as they're typing in their question, they can say, this is this type of issue, or this is that type of issue. And then in your customer service software, it'll prioritize anything that's like, I'm having trouble with my order, making placing an order. You want to prioritize those. Let's close that deal, right? Versus, you know, hey, do you guys offer three-day shipping, right? Eh, or that's actually part of the order. But it's like, hey, I ordered a week ago, and I just want to know if... Uh, if you guys also have an affiliate program, not nearly as much of a priority as someone trying to place an order right now. So you want to make those urgent. Okay. Now, the next phase of preparing for big spikes on the customer service side, <clears throat> you want to keep a plan to actuals for customer service, just like you're you're doing for inventory, tracking revenue. We talked about last episode, marketing, plan to actuals. You want to know, be able to forecast your capacity and your backlog right? If one customer service agent can handle 50 tickets a day and you have 200 tickets, then you know it'll take that person four days to clear that backlog, right? And that assumes no other orders come in, right? You're still going to be getting 50 more a day going forward. Or you can have four agents handle that 200 ticket backlog in one day, right? That's one way of looking. Then you have zero uh, backlog, right? So keep a plan to actuals, keep a forecast, keep a backlog, right? Um, if your forecast ticket volume goes up to 400 per day, you should have eight reps on board if you're doing 50 a day in advance to be prepared. So you can see how by knowing our rate of production, which is another metric you would get in a tool like in a software tool versus doing Gmail, it will show you how long you're taking uh, to get your tickets resolved. Is it 200 a day? Is it 50 a day? Is it, you know, 10 an hour? Software will help you with that. But if your forecast ticket volume, if you're like, look, I'm planning we're going to have 400 a day, you, you can do that in advance. You're like, oh, man, uh, we need to be prepared. We need more reps. Like, we're not going to be able to handle this, right? So how do you forecast might be your question. How do I forecast tickets into the future, right? Well, you need to look into the past and establish a benchmark tied to a different metric in the business. Really good examples or really good ones to use are revenue or orders or customers, right? For example, if last month you had a thousand customers buy from you and you had a hundred tickets, then next month, if you have 2,000 customers, it's safe to assume you'll have 200 tickets, right? Uh, there's growth. Or if you have a thousand next month, you keep the same rate, you'll have a hundred tickets, right? So that's one way to do it. Or if you had 300 orders last month and you had 100 tickets, then next month, if you're planning to have 300 orders, you'll probably safe to assume you'll have 100 tickets, right? But if you know that a big spike is coming and you have 600 orders next month, then you should plan for 200 tickets, right? Doubling from 300 to 600 
you would double your tickets from 100 to 200 and on from there. It would just help you plan stuff. So that's a way to do it. And then you can plan how many customer service reps you're going to need. Okay. And then on top of that, you don't necessarily need to hire and be prepared to scale. And if you have a big open moment in the short term, it may not be a continuous thing. So you may not want to hire customer service reps and train them and onboard them and go through all that if you know this is just going to be a temporary spike. So a good thing to be prepared for in advance is have multiple team members cross-trained in using your software system for customer service and your canned responses so you can quickly staff up urgently if needed, right? If you have this big spike in orders, right, your marketing department is probably a great team to have trained on this because they're not going to have a lot to do. There's already a massive amount of orders and we're slowing down marketing. Uh, they need to help on the customer service side. So having the CEO, the COO, the marketers, right, all those people that aren't really normally on the op side but aren't really fully engaged on the marketing side right now because there's not much marketing to do, they can jump on a computer and immediately plug in and start helping uh, do customer service. They may not be as fast as your customer service agents, but again, your goal is just to get the orders done, right? You get the, not the orders, but the tickets down, okay? So that would be a way to be prepared. And so all those things, the goal is to maintain customer service and don't let that break you, right? We heard, you saw the domino effect that I described, right? Like it just, if this gets out of control, and a lot of people miss this one, right? Because they're prepared for the orders when there's a big open moment. They're prepared for inventory. They buy all this stuff up. They get a bunch of loans and they buy up inventory. They have warehouse staff, but then they have the two, the two guys that always do it, you know, all year long. They're the only ones there. And we forget, wait, that's going to blow up and they're not going to be able to keep up. And we're struggling to figure it out and they can't keep up. And then the, the customers start to get irate and they start to affect us on social media, which starts to affect our marketing. We start to have to give returns and it's just, it's a domino effect. So use these strategies to prepare and, and don't get bombarded and hammered if you have a big spike. The next thing that really starts to get hammered when you have a big spike is your fulfillment center, right? Your shipping and fulfillment operations, right? You've got to calculate a plan to actuals, right? Calculate a backlog. If you know you're shipping 10 orders per day per person or whatever the math may be, you know, you can do 300 a month if you're working 30 days a month, then that is your order volume. If all of a sudden you have 20 orders per day coming out, then you know you need to double your headcount in order to maintain that capacity. Right. It's very crucial that you plan in advance and staff up right, so that that way you can be ahead. Similar to what we talked about in customer service, do the same thing for your warehouse staff if you're doing it yourself. right? And also another little thing, Mondays are the worst if you take weekends off. right? So make sure if you're only working 20 days a month, right? so business days, Monday to Friday, that you staff up on Mondays, whether that's sending the marketing team on Mondays to the warehouse or um, adding in temporary staff on Mondays or just making sure people stay an extra state later in the shift, right? Uh, on those days, if you have two days off, that's two days where orders are dropping. Orders don't stop happening. People are buying all the time, but you're not shipping. So your backlog is just growing and growing and growing. So always be aware of the Monday push, right? Staff up in advance of big sales and big holidays. We know they're coming. Right. So if you have this big spike and you know it's coming, just go on and start hiring the staff or bringing the staff in or shifting people from other departments in there to clear out the backlog. So if you're shipping 10 a day, then and you only have staff for 10 a day, well, the previous days you should 
have two staff so you can do 20 a day so that that way when the big spike is coming, you have zero orders in the queue. So that as orders come in, you're ahead, right? Get clean. We used to call that Amazon, get clean before a big push so that you don't have a lot of orders waiting from the past. You can handle the big spike. Okay. And this is all the same in a 3PL, right? Ask them, let them know ahead of time. If you're using a third-party logistics center, go and talk to them and say, hey, look, we're having a big spike coming up. You need to staff up, please. You need to have people ready to go. Pre-stage inventory. So they have a lot of different clients. So you may they may need to move stuff around in their warehouse so that it's further forward or it's more accessible. Okay. So let them know ahead of time and they should be able to work with you to help you. Okay. All right. So those will help you avoid a big spike and a big issue with your shipping and fulfillment. And also uh, when it comes to shipping and fulfillment, uh, work with your postal service, right? Because now you're going to go from having whatever your normal volume is, maybe a package here and there or two packages here and there. You're going to have all of a sudden maybe a pallet's worth or a big container worth, right? Talk to them ahead of time, get a rep, go talk to those people and say, hey, look, what are our options here? A lot of times they'll come to you. They'll come pick up. Right. They'll come pick up from your location uh, so you don't even have to go down to the to the post office. And and a lot of times, too, even if you're going down to the post office, maybe you don't have to wait in line to drop off your package like you normally do. You can go around the back and just load up your truck uh, and drop it off in the back and they'll scan, scan it in for you uh, in, in bulk instead of waiting up at the front because you have so much. Right. Uh, we had it to where, you know, sometimes they'll get it to where they'll leave a truck or not a truck, a trailer just parked at your location. If you're doing a lot of volume, uh, they'll leave a trailer there, right? Because it makes it easier for them. They just hook up to the trailer. They drive off and drive it past their location to the next place, right? Uh, with Especially with, if you have a lot of parcel orders going out. So they'll make it easier for you to ship if you're shipping a lot of volume. So talk to them ahead of time. Your carrier, your shipping provider, and see what options they have if you have a big spike in inventory. All right. So with all of this, having to staff up on inventory, stock up on inventory, having to staff up in customer service, having to staff up in the warehouse, uh, all these things eat cash, right? And granted, you have a lot of revenue coming in, but you have to be careful, right? And cash management becomes the next place where people get hammered right? Because they start to think the good times are going to last forever. Uh, or they start to look at revenue and they say, oh man, we've got tons of revenue coming in. Let's hire up half the neighborhood, right? And they end up hiring too much or buying too much inventory or buying or hiring too many customer service people. Uh, and so you have to still be careful, right? Um, when you scare really fast, you have to buy a lot more inventory to grow, but you may not have enough cash for the big order, but you need to place the order because you've already got people waiting to buy. So sometimes that's the problem. The cash hasn't come in yet enough for you to even buy the inventory. Okay. So a couple of options you can have here, negotiate better terms in your manufacturer, right? You know that it's coming, the big sales coming, um, but you don't have quite enough cash yet, or it's tied up in Shopify or it's tied up at Amazon or it's tied up, you know, in PayPal, right? And you don't have the cash to pay that down payment. Because now, you know, before you used to spend $10,000 for the whole run, so it was only $3,000 down. <clears throat> but now you need to spend $100,000 for the full run, and now it's $30,000 down at 30%, right? Like that's, whew, that's a big jump from having to pay $3,000 just to get them started to $30,000 just to get them started. Even though you know you're going to be selling that much, that's still a huge jump, right? It's tough. So what you can do sometimes is you let your manufacturer know, hey, here's the situation. And you can sometimes get them to negotiate that 
front end fee. So you know it's a timing issue. It's tied up at Amazon or it's tied up in PayPal or wherever. So you can say, hey, that 30,000 uh, fee, break it up in half. So one week will pay you half, the next week will pay another, or this month will pay you half. You know, let's split up that 30% down. Or you can say, let me, let's get started with 3,000 just so you can go buy the materials. Go get the materials, get that started. The next week I'll pay you for the next phase and you can begin the next phase of production. Okay, and you can break up that initial down payment just to get them started, just to get them going. But at the same time, you know, they got a business run too. They're not just going to start working for you for free on a big order and take all that risk. So you got to give them something, but this is an, it can be negotiated. A lot of people think they can't negotiate that. All this stuff can be negotiated, right? Okay. So that's the first phase. Have that ready in advance. All those kind of discussions before you have the big Oprah moment, right? Or the big spike. Another one is uh, lines of credit. And credit cards. People don't like these, but they're built for this specific situation, right? Remember in a previous episode, we talked about leverage versus debt, right? Debt is when you buy something you can't afford and you don't have the money to pay it back. That's not a good use of these type of financial instruments or these tools, right? If you're going into debt where you're buying more than you need, living beyond your means, I'm not, you should not do this. Do not use a strategy. However, if you know that you have the cash sitting over at PayPal, it's just not here yet, and you need to pay your manufacturer to get the inventory you need to fulfill the demand that that cash at PayPal is promised, right? The cash that somebody paid you, you've got to give them the inventory, you need to buy it. You already have a deal. You just need a short-term short-term liquidity. Your cash is tied up, you need some cash. So you use your credit card, have these ready, have credit cards, have lines of credit ready to go, and Use them to pay your manufacturers. And then as soon as you get that cash cleared from PayPal and Amazon, pay them off. Pay them off as soon as you can, right? Or you can reach out to friends and family, call for short-term needs that you can repay quickly. Just have it ready. Because the worst thing to do, I see a lot of people do this, is they'll go start selling off piece of the business, right? Getting an equity partner. Oh, we had this big Oprah moment or I have a big retailer that came in or Shark Tank. Can you, here, we'll give you 10% of the business for hundred grand if you can fund the inventory. What? No, don't give away your company just to pay for one manufacturer. What's going to happen the next time? You know, 10 times of that and you don't own your business anymore. You know, you don't want to rely on having to give away parts of the company or get investors uh, just to cover short-term cash needs. Okay. All right. The next option is use your customers to fund your business, right? Uh, A lot of people forget about this option, but Uh, Like I said a second ago, um, when we were talking about inventory, people turn off the listing. They say, you know what, we don't have the inventory, so we're not going to sell it. I recommend you actually sometimes just allow back orders, right? Uh, Just keep selling. Even if you don't have the inventory, of course, notify people. All those same caveats apply and warnings apply. Keep make sure people are aware once they buy that, hey, this is going to take longer. We don't actually have this in inventory yet, but here's what we're doing about it. It's on its way. It'll be here in two weeks. It'll be here in four weeks. It'll be here whenever, or we're getting a small order or whatever the, the case may be. Because what will happen is you're going to be selling the product at retail price, right? And you're going to be paying for it at cost. So if you did what we talked about and you have a six to 10x product margin, that means your markup is, if you're having a 10x markup, it's going to be uh, 10 times what you have to pay your manufacturer. So you're only going to need uh, 10% of the order's revenue to pay for the full run. So in the example of 
a hundred thousand dollar order, right? If you need to pay a hundred thousand, that means you may make that revenue potential of the inventory you buy for a hundred thousand is going to be one million dollars, ten times what you're paying. So if you sell ten percent of that inventory in advance on back order and let people know you only need to sell ten percent, right? Uh, you only need to sell a hundred thousand dollars worth of it, and you've paid for the entire run, right? So that's a great way. Uh, another way to help have your customers help finance you, right? Even if you have to give those initial ones a discount, right? So you sell $100,000 worth of it. Maybe you gave a 20% off discount uh, for people who are willing to wait or 40% or 50% off discount. Remember, you're paying it at 10%, right? 10% of cost. So you just need more than 10% to get the cash in that you need to pay to manufacture the full run. Then the rest of that 90% of inventory, you sell at full price, right? Okay. Cool. So that's cash management. That's a way to, you know, as you can see, really the key is how do we have enough cash for the increase in inventory and human beings uh, or support that you need to handle the influx of order volume and that short-term cash, which you can use uh, your manufacturer to help you with that. You can have lines of credit. You can get debt uh, to help you with that. Or you can have your customers do your fund your short-term cash need. Okay. Another way is, each of those things you need to pay, ask for better terms, right? A lot of people pay their bills on time, okay? Uh, and yes, in most cases, I highly recommend it. But when you're cash-strapped, use your vendors and sometimes even your employees as a funding source, right? Where you're saying basically, hey, um, can I pay you next month? <laughs> we just have a short-term thing. And so now that cash isn't going out, which means you can use it to fund more inventory if need be. Right. So this works great for employees. A lot of times that are bought in, they see what's happening. They know we'll be paid. We'll be paid. It'll be fine. Sometimes that'll work. Sometimes they don't. And if they don't pay them. Right. And uh, vendors, right. Uh, turn off anything that if need be, turn off things that are automatic draft and just let it run for 20, 30 days before they shut you off. Right. <laughs> before they turn the lights off. This is tried and true strategy. But you need it. Pull out all the stops. You're an entrepreneur. If you're not thinking outside of the box and taking risks, then you're not doing it right. So do whatever you need to do to make sure you have the cash to fund the uh, operations of the business and keep it going so that you can keep the sales coming in and making money. Okay. Now, on the manufacturing side, beyond what we talked about with cash, you can also do some things if you're scaling up to prepare yourself in the future. Because the worst thing to have happen when you start scaling up, you, you learn that, oh, wait, my manufacturer can't handle that big of an order. Oh, now what do we do? Oh my gosh. Uh, they can't make that much. They don't have that many people. They're too small. Like, oh, that's the worst, right? Or maybe they can do it, but they can't do it in your time frame, right? Or, you know, you, you brought the people, the pricing they gave you was for six month lead time. And that was fine before because you were, you know, one order lasted you a year or two, but now you need it done next week or you need it done next month or in two months. Uh, what are the rush delivery? And they can't handle that, right? So these are things to have in advance if you have a big Oprah moment or something like that. So first, know the rush delivery timeframes, right? Can they work faster? And sometimes they'll push back and they say, no, we can't. But you just ask them, what if we pay you more? <laughs> can we give you a rush fee? Then sometimes they'll budge. And if they can rush, how much faster? Worst case scenario, they they at least give you info on why they can't. So you'll know what their bottleneck is. A lot of times it'll be materials. We just can't get the materials fast enough. Uh, 
or we don't have enough staff to do that many, or we don't have enough equipment or whatever the reason may be. And maybe you can help them solve that. If you get really going, there's been times where we'll send help. We'll go down there and actually help them in the factory, or we'll buy the materials for them and have it shipped over to them, or we'll get the packaging or whatever it is, find the bottleneck and help them relieve it so they can work faster. Know this in advance. Okay. Another thing too, is make sure they are doing the barcoding and the packaging, right? Sometimes we've seen clients get hosed up because they get the product from their manufacturer trying to be cheap, cheaper about it because the manufacturer will give it to them loose, just packed up instead of in retail packaging or ready to go packaging, they send it to them loose in big boxes or big bags. Uh, and then the client themselves packages it up into the final package. I do not recommend that. Have the manufacturer do it all and have them put barcodes on the product. That's the other thing. Even if you have the manufacturer do it, sometimes we forget to put barcodes. Well, that makes it tough for you to scale up to a 3PL or Amazon or something like that because they all use barcodes and they scan it in for quality assurance and for counts. So make sure that your manufacturer is handling those things. It speeds up the process dramatically. Another option with your manufacturing, uh, if you're starting to scale, you should be, you should have it in setup. If you have a 3PL especially, have it to where it can go directly through the 3PL, right? The less steps in the chain you have, the better. So some people have it go from their manufacturer to them, then they package it again and ship it to their 3PL. See if you can get it to where you can ship directly to 3PL. Again, you're going to need barcodes for that. Okay, have freight forwarders and shipping methods in place, right, with all the paperwork. So you should, before you have a big spike, do this now. Try placing an order from your manufacturer and see all the things that can break, right? So you need all your HS tariff codes, your customs paperwork. Have all this stuff figured and the pricing, how much is it going to be? Do both air and ground. Do this when things are calm because it is very stressful to do this when you have a big spike and you really want that stuff to get here now and you've got customer service people uh, screaming and yelling because they're like, people are screaming and yelling at us about where's our stuff and the pressure is high. You can't be sitting there hoping it'll come in because we've had horror stories where people are literally like, uh, this stuff is stuck at the port. It got here. Oh, thank God. It took two months to get here, but it's finally here. And now it's stuck at the port for three weeks. Oh, that's a miserable feeling, right? So that's one. Another thing is as you're going this fast and you're pushing your manufacturer, sometimes errors happen. You get a lot of quality control issues. So go visit if you can. If it's domestic, go there. If it's across the country, that's fine. Get on a plane and go there and inspect. It's worth the price because the other worst thing that have happened is now you, it sat on a boat for two months. It's stuck at port for three weeks. Then it finally arrives and they, they the stitching is all bad or they did the wrong color, or they put the logo on every product upside down, or something like that. That's just awful. So if you can, go try and do an inspection. Uh, if you want to overseas, there's different uh, inspection services you can hire where they can go in and spot check uh, a run that's in progress and make sure to do it unannounced, right? So that that way they can't you know, show you only the best stuff. But even just them knowing that you're going to check or call in uh, is helpful to make sure you get good quality. Okay. Another bigger one to prepare in advance, and this you have to prepare in advance, is diversify your manufacturing, right? So by the time you get to this size, you should not be relying on one manufacturer for a, a particular SKU. For all your SKUs, you should have a backup, at least one backup. And I recommend having one backup. If you're overseas, have one domestic, right? Uh, and then if so, have maybe have them different countries, right? Have backups, Right, so that way you have options and flexibility. If one can't handle it, you can go to the other, right? If the other one can handle it, 
but they're going to take longer. You can, you can, it just gives you more flexibility, right? And then make sure they're both cap they're all capable of shipping both by air and by ground. Okay. Another thing you can do uh, if things start to scale fast with your manufacturer is know their stages of production, right? Sometimes if you're in a quick hurry and you're like, man, we really need to get this now, they may have given you a lead time of 60 days, but that's if you're doing a full production run, right? Because they go through batches, right? They buy all the materials for it, then they start cutting. Then they start sewing, then they start packaging, and literally your entire order moves through those stages. Well, what you can say is, look, go through 90% of the order that way, but for 10%, I want you to run through all the phases and sit, ship that to me in two weeks. They may be able to do that, split the run up, right? Or split the run where, uh, split the shipping. So you can say, all right, do the full run, and when it's done, take 20% of that inventory and ship that to me air, because that's going to be far more expensive. So ship some of it air, the rest of it ship ground. Okay. So good. That's manufacturing. So we've gone over the biggest areas to get hammered. Uh, it's going to be your inventory. It's going to be your customer service. It's going to be your, your third-party logistics and, and or your in-house shipping and fulfillment, cash management, and manufacturing. One of the things I want to add in here that is not any one of these things is uh, I'd like to make a big case for outsourcing, right? Uh, as you're going from six figures a year to seven figures a month, right? So excuse me, seven figures a year, seven figures a month and eight figure years, right? A lot of this stuff is not in your zone of genius, right? You're not the best at customer service. You're not the best at warehousing. You're not the best at uh, shipping and fulfillment and manufacturing. So a lot of people try and do all this in house, which is fine. Right, you can you can maintain if you, there's benefits to that. If you're doing it yourself, you can maintain much much of the control, and you can tweak things. You can move faster, but it's much more time consuming. Right? Did you become? Did you make a product and become an e-commerce entrepreneur so that you can get really really good at optimizing a warehouse, or optimizing fulfillment process, or getting really good at customer service metrics, or getting really really good at accounting and QuickBooks and or zero? Is that what you really want to do? If the answer is no, then outsource it. Yes, you will have to pay for it. Yes, you will have less control. Yes, you will have to vet people and check them and trust them a lot more. But you will have one thing that's critical, uh, your time, right? You're going to pay more for it, but you'll have your time where you can stick to your zone of genius, your area of expertise, which is your product and your interaction with your customers, right? That's what you and you alone in this company can do. So keep that and outsource the rest, right? There's no one who can do what you do in your business besides you. There are many people who can do the other stuff, even if it's half as good as you, because the time they spend doing that means zero doing what you do. So hire two of them and be done with it, right? Right. If they if it takes them half the time that it would take you, uh, or the opposite, if it takes them twice as long as it takes you to do it, then just hire two of them so they can do in the same amount of time, right? Because you want to spend zero time doing that thing, even if it's done less efficiently than you would have done it. That's okay. The way you should be feeling if you've done this right, right? If you've done this right and you've gotten your systems in place, like I recommended ahead of time, and you've also, for your customer service, your inventory planning, your shipping fulfillment, your manufacturing, cash management, if all of these things you've prepared for and you've gotten all these answers, questions answered in advance, 
and then you even took the next step and started to peel off and outsource some of these things. So even if you scale up, uh, then you're still not the one having to do these in an optimized way. You've optimized them, um, but you, in an optimized fashion, you're still running it. But if you've optimized them and then you outsource it too, so someone else is even running it and they're handling the scaling up and the staffing up and all that, if you've done that right, uh, then when you have a 10x sales day where you go from making 100000 a month to a million a month, right, uh, you're not stressed about it, right? You're literally just making sure that everyone's doing what they're supposed to do. And you're sitting at the computer, whether you're on a beach or you're in your office or somewhere at the house, you're just hitting refresh to see the order numbers come in and go up. You're seeing the shipment numbers going out. You're seeing the inventory numbers staying above zero. And you're seeing payout balances from Shopify, PayPal, BigCommerce, Amazon, whatever it may be. Those just keep going up and up and up. And then they're popping over to the bank account. And you're checking into your QuickBooks to make sure that it's hitting your bank account properly and is being accounted for properly by your accounting firm, right? Ideally, you're watching this all from a beach, somewhere nice for the view. You're not stressed out, running around ragged at a warehouse or logged into your customer service inbox dealing with angry customers, right? That's what I want for you. And that's what the whole point of this episode is about, is to really, if you do these things, more than likely you have a much higher chance of having that scenario play out than the one I talked at the talked about at the beginning of the episode, where there was stress and struggle and that domino effect, right? So Let's go for peace, right? With these systems in place, you should be able to, you should best be able to handle a large influx of order in a short period of time and avoid the main issues that cause brand scaling rapidly to suffer when they finally hit that seven figure month. And instead of stress and panic and pain, you will finally feel what that joy that you've been waiting for of watching your business scale and grow and grow and be happy, be able to enjoy. So with that, subscribe rate and review this show on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast hosting platform. If you know of any other e-commerce businesses trying to go from six to seven figures a year in revenue, share this show with them. Visit our website, www.aleasystems.com and sign up for our newsletter. As a thank you for signing up for our newsletter, you'll immediately get access to our Clavio email marketing resource kit. A must if you're selling online to make sure you're getting the most revenue you can from back-end sales and not having to constantly scale through paid acquisition. I'm Emmanuel Lea, and we'll see you on the next episode.